The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Christ and all God's people said, Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, I invite you to Job, Job, J-O-B, chapter 1. Uh, uh, ask uh, your smartphone to find Job or Job 1. It'll send you all these job listings from all these different places. I tried that this week, and that, that's what it does. It's not Job, or it's not Job, it's Job, at least in the biblical sense. And if you're visiting with us, we are in a one-week break, <laughs> kind of weird to say, a one-week kind of off week from our study of Revelation, but it's kind of a cousin to where we have been. Because this last week, we've had many questions from many of you as we studied the churches in the last two to three weeks about who is Satan, what does Satan do, and what does Satan not do. And before we even go there, I want to just tell you, we're not going to cover all those bases, but I do want to cover for you one of the most familiar passages that you know well, and that speaks to who Satan is, and what he can do, and what he cannot do. But here's the whole point. It's not about him. It's about who? It's about God. It's about Christ. It's about his glory. But you need to know who your enemy is. And as we get deeper into our study, again, next week, about uh, the study of Revelation and the seven churches, and even the whole book of Revelation, we need to know who our enemy is. So if you're able to stand this morning, would you stand with me? We're going to start reading in Job chapter 1 and verse 6, and we'll read all the way down to the end of the chapter. Uh, This is probably more Bible reading than we've had in a while with our call to worship, our scripture, and our text today. But uh, may it be to God's glory. And we'll start in verse 6. And I'll be reading out of this. uh, A brother here gave me a new Bible. I I don't know where my preaching Bible went. So uh, thank you, brother, for for allowing me to do this. And it's bigger type because I'm getting older. And that's a good thing. And God knows I need it. So praise the Lord for all good blessings. Job chapter 1, verse 6 and following. And this is how it's recorded. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan, or the accuser, the adversary, also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan, verse 9, answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge of protection around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. And verse 11, but stretch out your hand, Satan says, and touch all that he has, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And you know the rest of the story well, don't you? Verse 13, now there was a day when his sons and daughters, that's Job's sons and daughters, were eating and drinking and wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. And verse 16, While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, verse 17, there came another, this is the third, and said the Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck out the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped 
to tell you. And while he was speaking, this is number four, another one came and said, your sons and your daughters were in their oldest brother's house, drinking and eating. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. So, verse 20, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord give and the Lord take away. Our King James, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. And blessed be the name of the Lord. Yet in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with doing any wrong. What a passage. What an enemy. But what a great God that we serve. Amen. And he is over all of this. I want to talk to you about that today. Seven truths about Satan from Job 1. Let's pray together and we'll be seated after that. Lord, may you bless the reading of your word. There are days and times, Lord, where we look at this behind this kind of unveiling of the, what happens in the supernatural realm, especially in heaven between you, Father, and, and the great enemy, Satan, of which you are over and have always been over, and he answers to you. Yet, Lord, we look at our lives, we look at our, our nations and our things, and we think, why, Lord, why this time, why now? But, Lord, Satan is real, but your son is realer still, and we are so grateful for that. Lord, we love you. May you give us wisdom today to know about our enemy, but may we know even more so about how this glories and magnifies and exalts your son who is the one to whom is said in Romans sixteen twenty, and he will soon crush him underneath his feet. Father, we thank you for that. And we pray all this today in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, there's a study being done most recently in Miami Beach. I've never been to Miami Beach. Actually, I'm not a big beach fan. I'm not a big swimming fan. Uh, it's something you have to adapt and learn with through the years. But there was a study done about how close do sharks get to Miami Beach. And they wanted to know, do the sights and sounds of Miami Beach keep them away or do they draw them closer? And so this is what they were asking. And they said, we know we have loud noises, chemicals, and bright lights. Surely these sharks are not going to be anywhere near our people. And researcher Neil, I'm going to, Neil H., I'll say that. He has a cool last name I can't pronounce, said it this way. He said, since other studies have shown that land predators are urban avoiders, we expected sharks to be too. And we were surprised to find that sharks spent so much time near the lights, the chemicals, and sounds of the busy beach Often close to shore, no matter what the day, we truly were flabbergasted. Plenty of animals, pigeons, raccoons, coyotes, love to live in the urban core. Why? Because there's all sorts of food, free food, right? Your trash can, uh, your, your lunch, whatever it is, they're there. There are also urban avoiders, wolves, other animals that don't want anything to do with people. But ultimately, this study about sharks in Miami found that these Sharks act more like urban adapters. That is, sharks are closer to the beach than you think. Some of you have jaws in the back of your mind getting ready to come up on someone from the 80s. That's maybe what we're talking about. But as I read that study this week, it made me think of the very one we're talking about today. Satan, the roaring lion, is closer than you think. He constantly prowls around, as we heard earlier uh, from Brother Brian, that he also uh, looking for someone to devour, 1 Peter 5, 8. And 2 Corinthians 2:11 says that we are not unaware of his schemes. But the scripture reminds us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, that we should give no opportunity to the devil. Or in another translation, do not give the devil a foothold. That is, that none of us should have a state of neutrality. 
None of us should go spiritually AWOL to the point where we allow Satan and influence our lives or to influence our lives. And like the churches in Revelation 2 and 3, we find ourselves constantly in the spiritual warfare against Satan and his minions, those fallen angels, the demons. Yet even on this holiday weekend, I believe it's good for us to be reminded how supernatural, how strong, and how scheming the devil is today, because he is. And the Bible says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. And this morning, I want us to see how this pulled back veil we just read shows how much opposition we actually face at the hand of Satan himself. And those churches we studied and will continue to study are. You know, sometimes we think things are just mere circumstance or happenstance, or that's the providence of God, especially the providence of God. But in fact, many times we're wrestling against the devil under God's control. That's a formidable foe. And so this morning, how much authority does Satan have? What is his influence in our life? Well, I want you to know this, and my friend Jared Wilson, I've known for many years, pastor at Liberty Baptist, author, professor, all those good old titles, said it this way, and I quote him for our big idea today because I think it's so true. For as real as Satan is, Christ is realer still. Think about that for a second. For as real as Satan is, Christ is realer still. And so today I want to expose our adversary. I want to reveal who he is and how he operates. I want to remind you the truth that his name is Satan. But I want to remind you also that God is in control. God is greater than he. That he has no place, no foothold where the people of God are following God faithfully. I want to remind you that in seven Old Testament books, Satan was talked about. In every letter of the New Testament or gospel, Satan is mentioned. He's there everywhere. The devil is real. We call him Satan. We call him devil, Lucifer, Beelzebub, Belial, the evil one, the tempter, the ruler of this age, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the accuser of the brethren, the old serpent, the great dragon, the roaring lion, Apollyon, and many, many more. He is the evil one. And Christian, I will so cite some stats later on. Do you realize that most confessing Christians believe more in the reality of Satan than they do in the reality of God, according to a recent study? How sad that is. Satan is real, but Christ is realer still. Seven truths about him today as we study. If you're visiting for the first time, it's probably not what you thought you'd get on a 4th of July weekend, is it? But praise the Lord, God's word speaks no matter what the holiday is and no matter what subject we are looking at. The first thing I want you to see this morning is that Satan is a fallen angelic being. Satan is a fallen angelic being. You see that in verse 6 of chapter 1, first part. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God began to present themselves before the Lord. There was a day. The implication here is it's just a routine day in heaven. It's just a normal day. It's a scene that's played out over and over and over again. It's nothing new, but something happens. The sons of God, the angelic beings, and within the same book of Job, chapter 38, verse 7, are those who came to present themselves before God. Well, who are these sons of God? Well, there's several rabbits we can chase, but these are the ones who sing the praises of God. They're the ones who repeat the, the phrases, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. They're the angels that do all the work of God here, there, and everywhere. Genesis chapter 6, verse 2 also says that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive and they took them as their wives. I do not believe that the sons of God in Job 1 are the same as Genesis 6. 
Angels do not marry and cannot procreate with humans. Thank you, Hollywood, for distorting our minds. But the matter of the fact is, is that the sons of God here are angels. They are supernatural spirits. They are lower than God, but Hebrews 1.14 says they are here to serve you, those who inherit salvation. But they are superior to man in their strength and their intelligence. The point is, the sons of God are giving report to God. They've come back to give their, if you were, daily report, their accountability to God. And as they're doing that, somebody shows up. And verse 6 tells us who that is. It's Satan himself. And I want to remind you about who Satan is, where he came from. You know that Satan was originally created as an angel, an angelic being. I'll give you some references to jot down here. They will not be on the screen. You can look these up later. Isaiah 14, Isaiah 14, and Ezekiel 28. I'll give you just the chapters, Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And in all this, we are reminded through Scripture, especially in Ezekiel 28, that he was an anointed cherub. That Satan was gifted by God in mind and will and motion to do some pretty amazing things. And he possessed all these great attributes. And sometime, perhaps after the creation of the world and before the fall of men, it's usually the time frame, sometime before that, Satan incites a rebellion. And he incites a rebellion. He takes one-third of the angels with him. And guess who won that war? You know the story already. The Bible answer is, who won the war? God won the war. Of course he did. And Jesus said in Luke 10, 18, referring to this very thing, he said, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. I think the point of this is, and, and it'll be on the screen for you, is that God is real, Satan is real, sin is real, forgiveness is real, excuse me, Judgment is real, heaven is real, and hell is real. Satan is real. He is angelic, and he shows up in front of all these sons of God, all his former angel buddies, if you will, and he gives a question that we'll get to in just a minute. Now, if you're an honest Bible uh, scholar here or Bible questioner, you'll say in verse 6, how did, pastor, how did God, who's holy, and he dwells in unapproachable light, and no man who's sinless, how does Satan himself get to show up in heaven? That's a fair question. That's a really good question. I mean, Lucifer was cast out of heaven. He was hurled out of heaven. How is it that this foul fiend is allowed to come before God day and night and accuse the brothers? And the simple answer, and this is a Nelsonism ahead. Are you ready for this? I have this underlined nose. Nelson would say this, Pastor Nelson, I don't know how Satan is able to go here and there and to and fro. Yet God in his sovereignty would allow the servant to slither back in his presence again and again. I don't know. But I do know that God is real. Satan is real. Sin is real. Forgiveness is real. Judgment is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. All of these things are real. This is not some fake story. This is really happening, perhaps even the moment that we are speaking. So friends, I want you to know as we look at this first thing about Satan, is that don't dismiss what you think is happening in this world as just sinful people. Pull back the curtain and you will see that there is often a spiritual reality that we miss. And here in America, we often miss it very clearly. You ask any missionary who's ever been on the field, you will get some stories that will make your skin crawl. I'm not trying to scare you, but the reality is we have so, um, we have so domesticated Satan that he really doesn't have much power anymore. And that's a good thing spiritually, perhaps, 
but we forget that he is really our enemy and he's after us. That's number one. He's an angelic being. Number two is this, is that Satan has an open but direct access, limited access, excuse me, to God. Satan has open but limited access to God. Look at the end of verse 6. And it says, and Satan also came among them. Now, can you imagine if you're an angel just thinking, didn't we kick this guy out again? What's he doing back? He's here again and again and again. And strange as it sounds, Satan has a limited direct access to God. And the question is, what is he doing there? Well, it's found in his name. His name means accuser or adversary or attacker or slanderer. The name Satan is adversary. He's an opponent in court. He's the one who stands day and night before the throne, taking your name before God, saying, can you believe what your child did today, God? He's back again. She's back in. They sinned again. Cast him out, God. And he stands and accuses day and night. Well, we're going about our 4th of July picnics and going to work. Unknown to us, a prosecuting attorney is bringing criminal charges against you before the throne of God above. Revelation 12.10, it says, Satan is, quote, the accuser of the brethren who accuses them before our God. He's railing accusation against accusation against accusation. But, oh, Christian, don't you have an advocate in your corner? His name is who? Jesus Christ. And this is true of all of us. Jesus Christ is an advocate who has never lost a case. I love those advertisements. We have a lawyer in the room, and he knows what I mean by this, that uh, uh, we won't, uh, you won't pay a dime unless we win the case. Well, they only pick cases that they know are a slam dunk so that they, that they don't owe you anything. They don't take the hard, hard cases. They take the real little ones. But 1 John 2, 1 says, we have an advocate, Jesus with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And if you're here today, it doesn't matter what Satan says about you. Christ has already spoken for your soul. He has given you not limited access to the Father. He has given you through himself, Jesus has, unlimited access to the Father because Christ is the mediator between us and God. Aren't you grateful for that? As Satan comes and accuses, Christ says, no, he's mine. He's mine. She's mine. She's mine. And in our names, if we were in, if we are in Christ, are written on his hand and upon the ephod of his heart. And Christ represents us and pleads his blood and his righteousness on our behalf. And if you're like me and sin more times in a day, an hour, a second, than you care to admit, that's a lot of times Christ goes on our behalf. But what an awesome God we serve. He's an advocate who's never lost a case. If you're here today, young people, kiddos, young children, Young children who are grown of a different age, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, the only way you get to heaven is through this advocate, Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Don't let Satan dupe you in believing something else. That's number two. Satan is angelic. He has access to God. But number three, Satan stalks the earth for prey. Will you look at verse seven? Satan stalks the earth for prey. Verse seven says, The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come or from whence you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. Isn't that a curious question by God? I mean, he knows all things, right? Why is he asking him this question? Well, think back to Genesis chapter 1 when Adam and Eve were walking and, and, and they were hiding from God because they sinned. Do you remember the question he asked them? He said, where are you? Well, did he know where they were? Of course he knew where they were. He's just simply framing this for him. 
But Satan is like a roaring lion. He's aggressive. He takes the initiative, and he wants to devour, not literally, but spiritually, your life. And the interesting question is that God knows everything. The question is raised so God will elicit a confession and testimony from Satan himself. He's going to tell about what's to come, and he's going to get it out of the words of Satan himself. So where did you come from? Now the devil has to go on public record, and, and if you want to do a courtroom scene, I'm sure there's some angel over there with the, uh, uh, what do they call it, a transcription machine, or whatever it is, typing out all the details. Not really, but you get the picture. And Satan answered him, he said, from roaming about on the earth and walking about it. Look, the devil is going to hell, but he's not there yet. The devil is alive and well on planet earth, and he's represented here as a lion that is roaming and stalking and hunting. Look, Satan may indeed prowl around like a lion, and, but he always disguises himself as a cute sheep when he tries to devour you. I had to think back to the, uh, the growing up with secular television and all those uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons. Because it was, Tom, was it Tom or Jerry or was it the mouse? One of them would always dress up like another character. I think it was, the, I think it was Tom and Jerry. And he'd try and like make himself out to be another animal and he'd try and bite the mouse and the mouse would run away. You know, and he'd try and then he'd put himself as a sheep so he wouldn't look uh, aggressive. It never worked. Well, the same is true with Satan. Look, if you knew there was a lion prowling around your neighborhood, would you let your kids outside? Probably not. I hope not. You'd not let them go outside. You knew that their safety would not be guaranteed. And something far more dangerous than a physical lion is loose in your neighborhood in the spiritual realm. He's loose in our schools. He's loose in our families. And he's loose wherever you are. That study I referenced earlier was from Arizona Christian University. And quote, I'll say it this way. Stunningly, Americans are more confident about the existence of Satan than they are of God. A recent survey we experienced of a thousand professing Christians showed that 56% say Satan is more influential, and yet almost half of them are not true that God actually exists. Are you still awake with me? Did you catch that? These are Christians who half of them say they're not even sure God exists. It's a holiday weekend, and my brain is asleep a little bit too, but that doesn't make any sense to me. Does it make any sense to you? But yet they're more alert and aware that Satan exists more than God does. Oh, forbid the thought. That's exactly what he wants. In fact, friends, there is a real personal devil. He's dividing families. He's tempting people into immorality. He's sowing snares among the brothers and sisters in churches. He's attacking God's word. He's bringing forth false doctrine. He's persecuting believers. He's deceiving the nations and attacking faith. Satan is roaming the earth. He's vicious. He's on the prowl, and he's looking for spiritual prey. Be very, very careful. Satan stalks the earth for prey. That's number three. But I want you to see as he stalks in verse eight, Satan is also very limited. Look at verse eight. It says, number four, and the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And he quotes four things about him here, that there's none like him on the earth. He's blameless and upright. He fears God and turns away from evil. Look, Christian, Satan has your scent today, and he's on your trail. And the more you step at the forefront to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ or live out your faith or, or go to a Bible-believing church, you better believe he's going to be behind you. Go read the book of Revelation and see what he did to those churches there. The more you do that, but I want you to know Satan is limited by God's sovereignty. 
This is number four. Satan is limited by God's sovereignty, and you'll see that on the screen. While Satan is very powerful, he remains under the authority of God. Would you notice in verse 8 who starts Job into this equation? I mean, Satan didn't come for him necessarily, but God sure puts him into play, doesn't he? Would you please note who throws Job's name here? Who is it who mentions Job for the first time? Is it Satan? Nope. Who is it? It's God. Interesting, isn't it? It is God who takes the sovereign initiative. It's God who issues the challenge. Have you considered my servant Job? And what does he say about him? There's no one on earth like him. Oh, that God would say that about our faith, our churches. When Satan comes to accuse, have you considered Tower View Baptist Church? Have you considered, I got to give Brian a little pat on the back because Nelson was really mean to him earlier. Have you considered my servant Brian Deal? He's the big deal. No, we'll leave that alone. (laughs) But I want you to see how he describes Job here. Four things, and you see them. He first calls him blameless. Your Bible may have a different thing there. This does not mean that Job was sinless. It means in his personal character and conduct, he was above reproach. It is the same word used as we look to pick pastoral candidates. You just don't hire any pastor. I'm not talking, not doing this with myself. 1 Timothy 3.1 says that those pastor elders and bishops, that same word there is to be above reproach, blameless. That is that there's not a charge that can be pinned on Job or that person. doesn't mean he's sinless. And then you see that word upright. He's blameless and upright. Does that mean he doesn't have scoliosis and he's like, he like walks around? No, not quite. He walks the straight path. The Bible often says, don't go to the right or to the left, but stay the straight and narrow. And so it is with Job. He does that. If you want to read more about it, go read the verse, uh, first five verses of Job. When his family would sin, just in case they sinned, he gave a sacrifice to cover their sin. But this was a man who had reverence, respect, and awe for God. And in doing so, God tells him, tells Satan, he's my guy. He's upright. He walks a straight path. But notice the third descriptor of verse 8, he fears me. He fears God. When you lifted up the hood of his heart down in the engine, the oil that ran the machine was the fear of God for Job. And the more we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18, the more we have the fear of the Lord. And so Job is being singled out here. He not only fears the Lord, he's upright, he's all those things, but he also turns away from evil. Job is being singled out because everything is right about his spiritual life. He's seeking, excuse me, to glorify God. 1 John 4, 1 says this. It'll be on the screen for you. Is that greater is he who's in the world, greater is he who is in you than he that's in the world. You don't have to fear Satan, guys. You don't have to walk around afraid he's going to jump out of everything. You don't have to blame every one of your sins and say that Satan made me do it. Look, I don't want you here leaving here today fearing Satan. I want you to leave here as Job did, fearing God. Because greater is he who's in you than he that is in the world. And God is sovereign. He's on his throne. And God will use the devil to accomplish his purposes in our lives. He does that in churches. He does that in families. He does that in culture, wherever. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, was perhaps one of the, the, the guys in the Reformation area who spent the most time. I mean, he would stamp on his feet at the devil. He'd yell at the devil. He'd pray prayers against the devil. They probably thought he was nuts. 
But the one thing Luther would tell you is what drove him closer to God was that when Satan would tempt him, he would go right here every single time, just like Jesus. He'd go right to the word of God and see what it had to say. Because Satan's greatest lie is what? Did God really say? Yeah, actually, he did say, Satan. Thank you very much for prompting me to get back to the Bible. He did say that. But he has restricted access. But just because he has restricted access does not mean he's not shrewd and cunning. Look at number five. Satan is shrewd and cunning. He is shrewd and cunning. And what we mean by that is simply what verse nine says. Then Satan answers God. Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him, a hedge of protection perhaps around him and his house and all that he has on every side? Look, Satan answered the Lord. Satan had been waiting for this answer. It's just like that softball pitch that you baseball players, when they float that ball right over and you see it and you just knock it out of the park. There has been so many times when I've engaged in conversation with someone and it wouldn't be until I walk away and get in my car and I think, man, I wish I had said this or I wish I had said that. Well, Satan, he just goes right for it because he's ready. And as soon as God puts the volley into play, the devil doesn't wait one second to return the serve. And God's, the ball is back in God's court. Does God, does Job fear God for nothing? Even Satan is a believer that the prosperity gospel is false when it suits his purposes. You know what the prosperity gospel is? If you believe hard enough, try hard enough, think hard enough, you can be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, and nothing will ever take you away. It's also called Christian science. It's also called T.D. Jakes and Joel Osteen and Creflo Dollar and blah, blah, blah. The devil is indicating both God, indicting both God and Job, and by insinuating that Job will only serve God in good times, he's saying that Job will only praise God when things are going well. And the indictment of God is this. He says, if you weren't so good to Job, God, he wouldn't show up at your church. He wouldn't praise you. You've bought him, and he knows what he has to do to get stuff from your hand. Oh, but look at verse 10. Have you have a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Look, Satan tried to crawl down the chimney. Satan tried to break in the electrical fence. Satan tried to bust through the front door, and he couldn't do it. Because God had put up, as it were, the super, this is my words, not the Bible's, the supernatural uh, um, uh, force field of defense around Job. And as the invisible hand of God's providence protected him, God knew that Satan knew there's nothing he could do. But Job had been blessed, and Satan had tried every hole. He tried to dig under the fence. He tried to jump over the fence. He tried to disguise himself, whatever it was. But here's the problem. Satan says, you're too good to him, God. As soon as you lift that protection, Job is going to curse you. He's going to hate you. And it takes you back to Genesis 3 when the devil said to Eve, you know what the problem is, Eve? God's holding out on you. God didn't want you to eat from that tree. Yeah, 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 eat all those other trees. But if God really loved you, Eve, you could do whatever you want. I thought God loved you. If God's a good God, he lets you eat from that knowledge of, tree, uh, of good and evil. Every parent's worst nightmare, right? When they get around, your kids get around people that say these things. How good it is to be naive of sin and evil, he, Satan said to Eve, that's not good to you. And guys, he still does that to you today. 
God has blessed you with the greatest blessing Christian you could ever have. You, if you're saved today, you are free from all your sin. Yet Satan comes and says, but God has not been good to you. God hasn't done anything for you lately, has he, Christian? Satan says. Oh, it continues on, and he'll draw your attention time and time again, away and away and away. And I want you to know, the issue on the table is, is will I whine or will I worship? Will I whine or will I worship? There are many times in our Christian lives when we are put to the test. And Satan says in verse 11, he says, but stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, God, and he will curse you to your face. Look, this is the one who took away a third of the angels. This is the one who took away Adam and Eve. This is the one who's taken away even the most God-honoring people to a small dose of if you just live for pleasure now, oh, it'll be so good. When you bite into it, it's like a rotten apple. I've used the illustration before. I used to pick apples just north of Plattsburgh, south of Holt, kind of by Kearney. Uh, the apple orchard's no longer there, but years ago, got paid to pick apples. That was quite a, quite a thing. And they always said Darren, if you get hungry while you're out there, just take a bite of an apple. I recall one day just going through picking the apples, turn it this way, put it in your bag, you know, blah, 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 all that stuff. I remember one day looking at a really good apple. You know where this is going. I just bit into that sucker, and the next thing I know, I had something in my mouth that did not belong in my mouth. And and out went all the apples. And that was a whole bushel that I had to pay for. And that's another story for another time. You break it, you buy it, you eat it. Well, you get, you get the idea. The point of it is, is that no matter what comes your way, Satan will tempt you with a little thing. And then he'll say to you, oh, God was not good to you. If he was good to you, he'd give you this all the time. But the question is, will you worship God or will you whine about what God has given you? Christian, you have nothing to whine about. You are secure in Christ. You're forgiven from your sin. The Spirit is leading you. You have the Bible. You have everything you need to lay your head to ground tonight and be okay. Don't let him tempt you away. Number six, Satan has great power. Satan has great power over circumstances, number six, or situations. And I put an asterisk there because I want you to know this is all under the hand of God. But look at verse 12, and you know how this goes on. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. He's like a kid you just gave $100 to and dropped him off at the the mall and said, Go have fun. Satan is ready, and he's going to call it all to the carpet. Under the sovereignty of God, Satan has been delegated much power and authority in Job's life. But he draws the line in the sand, and you can go no further. He tells him, Only against him do not stretch out your hand. Can't touch him. Leave him alone. But anything else around him, his kids, his possessions, his land, his sons, his daughters, go for it. And so you know what happens next. One after one after one after one. The oxen were plowing. The Satan implanted perhaps a holy rage in verse 13 against the Sabaeans. And they came and they, 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 they attacked them. And down in verse uh, uh, 15, or excuse me, in verse 16, while they were yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell of heaven and burned up the sheep. Satan had extraordinary power under the sovereignty of God. Remember in the book of Revelation, the false prophet, no matter how you take that, has powers that seem to be like God, yet they're of Satan. Then the third one in verse 17, the Chaldeans formed three bands and took them away and they slew the, the servants by the edge of the sword. 
And one of them came and said, uh, I alone have come to tell you. And they're just stacking up at the doorway. And then in verse 18, while he was still speaking, this one really cuts to the heart. You can take my sheep. You can take my land. You can take my possessions. But this one hits home, literally, doesn't it? Verse 18. While he was yet speaking, then came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine and their oldest brother's house. We don't know what the occasion was. Many of you have, uh, uh, some of you here, I think, still do Sunday brunches at your house or your family gets together once a week. Maybe it was something like that. We don't know. But it says, in the four corners, a great wind blew. Was this a dust storm? They're in the desert. Was it a tornado? We don't know. But all we know is, is that his sons and his daughters have died. It said, you can take away my possessions. Take away my land. You can do all those things. When you start hitting the kids and the wife and all that stuff, the wife will live. That's another topic for another time. But it really hits home. The reminder today is that so many people fear. This will be on the screen for you. So many people fear that Satan is sovereign and God is not. Some Christian live. Some Christians, perhaps yourself and myself at times, live in such a fear of Satan, they believe in the sovereignty of Satan rather than the sovereignty of God. Martin Luther said, we are still, we're still our ancient foe to seek to work us woe. We just sang this song, didn't we? His craft and power are great, and he's armed with cruel hate. On his earth is no equal. Guys, there's a great mystery. Sometimes we don't understand why God allows Satan to be used in the way he does. God is not the author of evil. I want to be absolutely clear on that. But there are times and places where God says, as he says to Satan about Job, go after my servant, go after my church, go after this. And there's only one way we can overcome what he brings against us. It is in the power of Christ. And this is where number seven comes in. Last one here, truth about Satan, is that Satan is defeated or overcome by our faith. Satan is defeated or overcome by our faith. Did you hear me clearly? How is Satan overcome? By our faith. Look at verse 20. He says, Then Job arose, and he tore his robe, and he shaved his head, and he fell on the ground, and he worshiped. Look, the devil now strains his ear to hear the anticipations of Job cursing God because God has taken away everything from him. But no, because when he's played this card before with other people, people have blasphemed God. They've cursed God's name. He hears the name of God used as a foul cuss word with a D word after it, as most people do it these days. But not Job. Job doesn't do that. And as the devil strains to hear what will come out of his mouth, he now hears verse 21. If you have your Bible, I want you to look at it. If you don't have it highlighted or underlined, please do. He says in verse 21, the great words you know well. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord give, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I love the old King James here. Uh, Brother Don Harper, I love, I love this, because if you're in our study, as he often is, I have him read the King James, how I memorize it. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Instead of maligning God's name, he magnifies God's name. Instead of assaulting God's name, he now adores God's name. And in an act of worship, and when it really counts, Job stands fast in his faith. 
Satan has wrecked his world. He's taken his kids, his possessions, his health to a degree, as we'll see later on, and all the stress. But he does not take away his faith. And church, I want to remind you that today. If this country were to be stripped of all its unalienable rights that we celebrate this weekend, and we have nothing left except to gather together under the threat of persecution or imprisonment or death, Satan can never take away your faith. Your faith is secure because Christ is secure to the Father. And no one will snatch you out of his hand. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Angels, demons, height, death, things here, things seen, things not seen. You are secure in Christ. And Job didn't know Christ by name, but he knew God personally and intimately. And that was enough for him. Look, you don't have to get out your sword today, physical or otherwise, and start slaying Satan. You just simply need to be faithful to God where he is. And the test of your faith, the test of our faith is when the bark has been stripped from your life, will you worship God? Will you worship God? Because verse 22 says it. Through all this, Job did not sin or charge or blame God with any Job was an ordinary man, but Job's faith, by God's grace, overcame or defeated Satan and all that he had. Church, here today, as we continue our study in the next weeks about what it looks like to be a faithful church of God, we are going to see churches that should have known better, but didn't do better, didn't make the right choice. Next week, we look at a church called Thyatira the least concernable church that really meant nothing in a, in a backwoods town in, 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 in modern-day Turkey. Nobody cared about, but they had a problem. And their problem was is that they were so tolerant of anybody and everybody that they allowed sexual morality, false teaching, and false church discipline to rule over them, all in the name of love. And I know what I'm about to say, and I always want to give a preface to this. We just turned the, the month over in the last day, but June is often celebrated as Pride Month. And I want to be absolutely clear here that God has created male and female in his image, and male and female, he created them. I want to also acknowledge that there are real struggles, sinful struggles led by Satan himself, where people false identify as things and as, as mixed genders and vice versa, that is straight from the bowels of hell. But I want to tell you that God loves every single one of those people just as he loves you. I want to remind you that homosexuality or, or the like therein is no different than any other sin to the degree that it's an offense to God, yet God has singled it out as something uh, that is not of his hand or his will or his plan. But I want to tell you that just because we need to love people does not mean we lower the guard to let Satan rush in. And so many churches and so many people in the name of tolerance and in the name of love have committed the sin of Thyatira. Oh, come on down. You're welcome here. Come on in. And we want to have that at every church, don't we? Don't we? But we do it with worship and understanding who God is, just as Job did. Notice that Job did not let down his spiritual guard. It increased. And church, I want to remind you, 
no matter what you are in this world or what people you face in this world, Satan wants in the hedge of protection that God may put around you. And he may win that battle, but God has won the war. And as we seek to love people with biblical truth, may we seek to do what he did. And let me remind you what he did. It says, he fell down on the ground and worshiped. Whatever you're facing in your life, that is the greatest truth that you can hold to. Worship him who's able and above and has defeated Satan once for all. John 19, 30, Jesus said, it is finished. Let's pray together. Fathers, we consider these things. We have tried to expose our enemy once again, the enemy of our souls. We're reminded of the fact, Lord, that he is ever-present in the sense not of your omnipresence, Lord, but he seems to be around every corner and every place. But, Lord, he's really not. For, Father, he's not like you. He is not God. He's not anything above and beyond what, what, Lord, we can ask or think. Lord, you are. Where he is real and we need to be aware of him, we thank you that you are realer all the, all the more, all the still, whatever. Because, Lord, we know that you are. We know that you've saved us. We know that you've redeemed us. We, we feel your presence and your peace and your power in our lives, even some days when it wanes and doesn't feel as strong as others. So, Father, as we seek to glorify you as individuals, as families, as couples, old, young, and in between, and especially as our church. May we not fall to the same sins our brothers and sisters so many years ago fell to. But Father, and we will sin, no doubt about it. We thank you, Lord, that your son is our advocate, that as far as the east is from the west, so far have our sins been taken away from us. And for that reason, the psalmist said, you are to be feared. But Lord, we do just pray that you protect us We pray that as we seek you, and as a dear sister summarized for us so well in a similar study on Wednesday night, we don't worry about what Satan's doing, but we just seek you and know you and live for you and praise you and worship you. Father, help us. Lord, I pray for all churches everywhere that the idols of this weekend, that the idols of everything that are in this nation do not overtake the simple fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ indeed died for us. Lord, we love you. Where Satan is real, Christ is realer all all the more. We pray this today in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen.